Good Thursday morning, everyone. Doug Farrar, editor of the Touchdown Wire site on the USA Today Sports Media Group Network, along with Mark Schofield, our five-tool guy, as always. Mark, week seven is here in bunches. Well, week seven is here, and it starts with a game of football between the Denver Broncos and the Cleveland – I always want to say the Cleveland Sentinels because I saw a tweet that basically had Shane Falco, Keanu Reeves, and Gene Hackman um, – and it said basically these are the Browns for tonight, like replacement players, because their entire team is hurt. So we do get a football game tonight, but it's not going to be what we expected. Uh, Teddy deep ball Bridgewater, by the way, yeah, deep attempts this year. And the Broncos, I'm going to say it again: Broncos have converted more fourth downs than the Chargers. So before we say that Brandon Staley has changed football, uh, six teams with buys this week. Before we get into Thursday night and the Sunday slates and the Monday slate, uh, Bills, Cowboys, Vikings, Steelers, Chargers, Jaguars are not playing. I wanted to go over a few things from the buy teams before we get into this week's matchup. Uh, and I give the Bills credit; they tried to load the box against Derrick Henry. Yeah, they did. And when there were seven or more defenders in the box per SIS, Henry rushed 14 times for 123 yards, 109 yards after contact, and three touchdowns. Is that good? That's pretty darn good. That's pretty damn good. Uh, Henry on the season against loaded boxes, a league high 133 attempts for a league high 660 yards, a league high 467 yards after contact, a league high 12 broken tackles. I think that's low and a league high 10 touchdowns. Uh, so I think what happened Monday night was more about Derrick Henry being maybe the league MVP than it was about the bill. I think the bill's defense is good. I th- above average, maybe great. I think they just ran into a freaking hurricane and yeah, no one can stop him. No, I mean, so when we say know. that running backs don't matter, which I've always hated because you know, these things are situational. Uh, don't tell Mike Drable that because his running back matters a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, in the running backs don't matter. I mean, it, it's a, example of how bumper sticker slogans sometimes don't capture the entire nuance of things because a guy like Derrick Henry certainly matters. I mean, when you can have that kind of efficiency and success as a running back against loaded boxes, like that makes you different. I mean, yeah, you know, some run of the mill type running backs, like you can replace them. You can rely on the offensive line to create opportunities for lesser running backs, but a guy like Derrick Henry makes opportunities. You look at the long touchdown run, that's a loaded box, but you see vision to identify it, the hole, the crease, that his ability for a man of his size to run through smoke, get skinny through the hole, whatever cliche you want to use about that situation, because it's not a huge hole. It's no. like the size of my little cube here. He and knows he gets how to through get it. skinny in football. Yeah. yeah. And then the acceleration, like for a man of that size to run away from the defense, it, it, it's different. And so he's one of those guys that sort of, yes, if the rule is running backs generally don't matter, he's the guy that breaks the rule. And technically he could have been ticketed in a school zone, 22 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, that's absurd. That's, that's freaky. You would have outrun all the Priuses in my neighborhood. That's a whole different Yeah. 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 Uh, we're surrounded by him as well. Yep. Uh, Chargers run defense. Here's something Brendan Steele might want to change. <laughs> well, he's busy revolutionizing the NFL and talking about EPA and press conferences. And, you know, people are like, oh, my God. And I love Brendan Steele, but he was yep. lionized last year with the Rams as their D.C. for stopping the run of light boxes with overhang defenders. Um, I watched the Chargers defense against the Ravens run game, and I would say that what Brendan Steele is discovering is that it's a lot easier to do that when Aaron Donald is in the box. Yeah, and Jalen Ramsey is your overhang defender. Um, I love Derwin James, but he's not that guy. 
Um, I love Chris Harris, but he's not that guy. And they're, those, those two are alternating at that star overhang, whatever. Um, and, you know, Joey Bose is great, but the Chargers have nobody in their front seven who can be a force multiplier against the run. And that's going to continue all year. And I'm not going to say, because what happened to Justin Herbert against the Ravens defense, that's going to happen to a lot of people. Because that, re- And we'll talk about the Ravens defense later. There really isn't an ID you can get on them. And we say that every year, right? Wink Martindale does all this weird stuff, and we just don't know. But that, I believe the Chargers are now the worst run defense in the NFL. They passed the Chiefs the wrong way down in DVOA. And yep. um, this is a problem. So maybe load the box a little more. Yeah, I mean, it's a problem right now. I mean, obviously, Staley, the too high stuff, that's all been covered and everything, but it is a little bit easier to go too high and play with a light box when you have Aaron Donald. Like, again, somebody that breaks rules there. Um, But they have a bad run defense, and it's not a situation like they allow the most yards on the ground per game when compared to every other single defense in the NFL. It's not a game script situation. They've won more games than they've lost. So it's not like they're a one and five team, but it's given up a ton of yards on the ground each game to teams that are trying to ice games and work clock. Like they're giving up a ton of yards on the ground, even with positive game scripts in their favor. So it's a problem. They have to figure it out. Does that force Staley to start putting guys down into the box, perhaps? And if so, how does that change the rest of their defensive structure? Do they start giving up plays in the passing game? So it's something to watch now. It's probably a concern that they got to figure. I mean, it is a concern that they have to figure out, but do they figure it out to the detriment of what everything else they do in defense? And there are times when they were throwing seven and eight against the Ravens run game and it just didn't matter. Yeah. And that, you know, the Ravens run game is spectacular. It certainly was right. a game. It's all, you know, they've got Ricard in like half the time. So they're. Well, know. because the Ravens run game sort of has that recipe for how you defeat the modern sort of too high stuff. Right. And again, all of this stuff is working its way up through high school. Doug and I say that every single week, like this is, you know, stuff you see playing out on Friday nights all over the country. But if teams are going to insist on playing too high, Yes, you have a light box. Yes, you have the numbers in your favor. Make them even more in your favor. Involve the quarterback in the run game. But obviously, Lamar Jackson can do that for the Baltimore Ravens. Other teams can do that as well. But instead of now being plus one in the box or plus two in the box, you may can make, maybe make a plus three in the boxes. You use the quarterback as a threat with his legs, and that really changes the numbers in your favor. Uh, when we get to Bears, Buccaneers, I want to get into that. Because yeah. Jalen Hurts, unusually, unlocked – the Bucks run defense with some concept. A little bit, yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to get into the the 75 yard touchdown that the Cowboys allowed uh, to Mac Jones and Kendrick Bourne because it, it seemed like people didn't know who to blame. Some people were saying it was Trevon Diggs's fault, which it wasn't. And oh, he has all these interceptions, but he, you know, play to play. He's not shut up. Um, as I said, I tell that, me yeah. you're not watching the Cowboys tape without telling me, telling me you're not watching the Cowboys tape. Right. Um, so just uh, when I saw the L20, I saw the overhead. J. Ron Curse, they had a too high pre-snap look. And J. Ron Curse drops down to be the whole defender in cover one. Digs that outside release on Bourne. And it was a speed turn. So, you know, whether he got beaten or not, I don't know. Um, but he had, out. you know, it's, it's um, DeMonte Casey's responsibility there. Okay, you got a whole defender. You got your cornerback to that side with outside leverage. He's going to funnel the receiver into your area. What the hell are you doing jumping that route? Yeah, I mean, I think it was in watching it live, rewatching it, reading some of the comments after the play. 
it seemed like both guys thought the other was going to make the pick. It, it was one of those moments where Casey thought, look, Diggs is going to intercept this and undercut it, and I'm going to work towards the body. Diggs thought KZ was going to be in a perfect situation, so he was going to make the pick. And it was just one of those moments, those 50-50 moments that sometimes play out where both guys kind of expect the other to do one in that split second. And let's also remember something. The throw was kind of inside. Like it board had to sort of come to the inside. So again, and for people that are saying that Diggs got roasted off the line, like board had a good release, but Diggs, one of the things he does so well is his recovery speed. He makes a textbook sort of speed, whatever you call it, baseball turn, bicycle turn, whatever you call it, speed turn. So now he's playing outside leverage to it because he knows he has inside help. Like, and Diggs is very good at closing. Look at the interception to play prior, right? Yep. He closes on that slant route. It was supposed to be a deeper slant. Bourne said he was supposed to be a three-step slant. Yeah, he, he said he ran the wrong route. Step. The, the, he, like, he thought like he he thought because of the way he the Diggs was playing him so off. He thought he would just run the one-step slant and sort of keep that cushion, which I can kind of understand why he did it. But you see Diggs' ability to click and close on it. It's the same thing here. It just didn't quite happen. The pass is kind of to the inside. Bourne makes the good adjustment. Casey doesn't and. It goes for a touchdown. I mean, my favorite part of that entire play is the fact that Mac Jones went right after Trayvon Diggs after the pick. Yeah. Like, just went right after him, said, look, I'm not going to be afraid. And so, Mr. Belichick, if you're listening, trust the kid to make some plays. Like, trust him, Trust this kid to make some plays. Two deep touchdowns. Yeah. 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 the Jets. They're very good team. Really great team. Zach Wilson's going to be the next, you know, John Montana, whatever. Yeah. Says that you know what he really well. Yeah, <laughs> they they they've had uh, quite a time against Zach Wilson already. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to bring up up that play because now it started this whole recurring narrative of Trevon Diggs is this inconsistent, like he's Marcus Peters or something, and I'm just stop it. Yeah, it's yeah. not. And, uh, again, quarterbacks get beat. Cornerbacks give yeah. up cushions. The one of the special things about Diggs this season is ability to erase those. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, he might sort of he doesn't panic. And if you talk to people like Eric Crocker and others that coach defensive backs, played the position, they would tell you what happens when you get beat early in a route is either you fight back or you panic. And when you panic, that's when you make mistakes and exacerbate the situation. Diggs is calm in those moments that he knows I'm athletic enough to get back to where the catch point is going to be and to potentially make a play. And that's what's made him special so far this year. Yeah. Or you do the other thing and then you're the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I'm, I'm tired of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jaguars, Brian Schottenheimer, and I know Shoddy a little from this time in Seattle. He has, he said he, I've handed the offense over to Trevor Lawrence. It's not just making great throws in and out of the pocket. He's got the checks. He's got the side adjustments. He's got the protections. It's not like that playbook is going to rival that of, you know, Al Saunders' 700 page playbook with the Redskins back in the day. But I remain impressed. And, you know, people will say, uh, Keyshawn Johnson said, well, I want a quarterback who will help me win. Watch the tape. Uh, He's doing it all. And it, I'm more and more reliant, reminded of Andrew Luck in, in his rookie season, where, and I've said this before, Bruce Arians was his OC, and then the head coach when Pagano had his thing. And you know how Bruce is. Uh, Bruce yep. is like, we're handing you the whole effing thing. Here you go. Here it is. It Throwing the playbook at your head 100 miles an hour, and Luck handled it in a really 
like amazing way. I think Trevor Lawrence is doing the same thing. Now it's not the Bruce Arians playbook, but there's some, some similar, you know, levels to vert and backside crossers and, you know, the way the hot routes, it's not that it's similar or not. It's that the extent to which Lawrence has in a rookie class where a lot of these guys have looked a little bit flimsy at times with a really horrible situation, a head coach, you don't know what, um, Lawrence continues to just, I'm past impressed. I'm, 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 I'm kind of veering towards amazed. Yeah. I mean, that's where I am too. I mean, I wrote about him a little bit on Sunday. I mean, I, I don't think you could watch Jacksonville right now, particularly their offense, particularly the past couple of weeks and think that quarterback is a, is a problem, is a concern. It's anything, but like he's playing at a very high level. Nate Tice is also on the, the Trevor Lawrence bandwagon. He clipped a play from that game where they run boot and he's got a free rusher at his face. Lawrence comes out of the fake, turns around, sees that, then makes this twist and falling away throw to get back to the check down that he just faked to. And he's like, oh, yeah, this guy's six, six. Like, yeah, by the way, like, he's six, six and he runs like he's, you know, Kyler Murray's height. Right. Like it's it's because it's, it's hard when you're kind of tall and gangly like that. It's hard to be mobile. Most yeah, it, it, that's not the, that, you know, that sort of. That's the really weird thing about Lawrence. And I remember Matt Waldman and I did a show on Lawrence, like before his final year, we talked about scheme fits with him. And he talked about how, look, you could drop him into Baltimore's offense. Like he's, he's athletic enough. He's certainly not Lamar Jackson, but he's a good runner. Like you watch yeah. him at Clemson and you see him like setting up blocks and stuff. And it's like, yeah. you know, you don't see a lot of six, six guys. Like you don't see Joe Flacco in the open field, like setting up blocks and making cuts. Like this if, is the stuff. If that you did see that, you would question the, the plan. It was Saturday at walkthrough at practice. Like it certainly wasn't Sunday. Like, so Lawrence is different. And <laughs> I, I think he's handled the situation extremely well. He's thrown the ball extremely well. He's gotten better as this season is going on, and that's what you want to see from a rookie quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, I'm on board, too. Give him a better coach next year and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, Okay, Broncos at Browns. So, basically, everyone on the Browns roster is hurt. Beyond that, I'm not sure. I mean, so it's Case Keenum for Baker. I'm not sure how well this offense would perform if everyone was healthy. Stefanski has had a serious problem against the Cardinals. He had against the Cardinals. Arizona, there are two defenses I'm looking at this year. I'm like, wow, those sim pressures and the way they mix front and coverage in the short to intermediate area is Baltimore and Arizona. You never know who's coming. You never know who's dropping. And it, it there isn't like a, okay, it's this look and these guys are up and these guys have their hand on the ground. So it's going to be X, Y, Z. Um, you know, the Broncos can do that too a little bit, but Isaiah Simmons, even Collins, Jordan Hicks, you can drop all kinds of hell into the short and intermediate areas. You take away slants and crossers. Um, and really the Browns didn't have an answer for that. And I know uh, Baker with the injuries, can't throw deep as effectively, but <clears throat> that's not really what this offense is. It's almost like the Vikings by way of the Seahawks in that it's, you know, run heavy inside, outside zone, some gap. And you're supposed to create the explosive plays off play action, run action, whatever, except they're not getting explosive plays. So yeah. and even, what even was... if everyone was healthy, I mean, I don't, I don't know. And what was amazing about watching what Arizona did was, you almost got the vibe of this is 2018 end of season teams have figured out the Rams. They knew what because every time they went outside zone boot action off of it, you had your levels with your backside cross or whatever. Everything was covered. 
Yeah. Every single thing was covered. Now, some of that might also have been like scheme dependent, right? I mean, game script dependent because, you know, Arizona was leading in that game. So they, they probably knew, look, you know, they're not going to bite on play action at that point when you're up 30 to 17. But even the earlier drives, when it was more of a neutral game script or one score game script, they were sitting on that stuff. And so now, look, Stefanski has to do what McVay had to do the years prior or the years after 2018, like figure out how to make the offense work. Now, trade for Matthew Stafford, basically. What that that's just it, right? What did McVay and end I up don't, doing? I don't, Baker's not golf. Baker's no, 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 no. Um, no, no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not that kind of situation. And so, you know, I, I think Stefanski's gonna have to figure some stuff out. If you're a Browns fan going into this game, look. Um, yeah, Stefanski, Keenum, there's a history there. They've been able to do some things together. So, you know, maybe it might be enough to get through this week, but I think there are bigger things that this Browns offense has to figure out. Well, there's some nice, is it like a mat game tonight? Some nice baseball playoff stuff going on. You can yeah. Play. I mean, is, I think there's a, there's a, um, Dodgers game, certainly not a Red Sox game. Yeah. That's disappointing. Oof. Uh, so yeah, uh, now Pat Shermer, who is currently the Broncos offensive coordinator, made Case Keenum an estimable, estimable deep passer in 2017 by creating openings for Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. The Browns have, you know, they have Odell, they have Schwartz, the, the rookie who's been a good vertical. They've got guys. Yeah. They're just not getting them open. And, you know, I, I, you, marry that to the problems on defense and you know the the thing we all said about oh they got you know johnson they got uh troy hill both from the rams johnson was the green dot guy he was the shot caller <coughs> grant delpit's going to be healthy denzel ward is you know blah 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 i'm seeing a lot of breakdowns in the secondary and that's like an every week thing and the Broncos, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is not a, like a top five quarterback, but they're a, they're getting shot plays both in and out of play action. They're getting their guys open. Tim Patrick is, you know, remains one of these really underrated guys. <clears throat> and he's like their third or fourth receiver, depending on who's healthy. So if I'm, you know, th- this is kind of, um, it's a litmus test for the Browns and, if they lose, it's like, well, yeah, everyone was hurt. But at that point, you're three and four. And at that point, you were expected to go further in the playoffs than last year. Uh, there are some people who have picked them to win the Super Bowl. I picked them to get there. I mean, yeah. yeah. And um, this is not that team. No, it, it, it's not that team. It's not. And that I don't team think my it. point is, I don't think it would be that team if everyone was healthy. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to that. I, I also think, look. In the secondary, there have been a lot of miscommunication issues. You look at that Chargers game, they had a lot of breakdowns there. Chargers had some some middle field open coverage route designs that attacked middle of the field open. You know, you had the post out touchdown where they were supposed to there was supposed to be a, a, an adjustment, a call made. It was missed. You get a post route touchdown over the top. The Mike Williams touchdown, sort of a throwback design where you end up getting, you know, the post route working away from the flow of the play. They've got to figure some things out on the defensive side as well. It has that secondary hasn't gelled like people like me expected or anticipated or hoped. Now you're looking at three and three right now, maybe three and four. You look at Baltimore at five and one. Baltimore wins, they could get to six and one. Or if Baltimore loses, they're losing to Cincinnati, who will be ahead of you in the division. And so, yeah, I mean, you might be at, you know, 
below 500 looking up at two teams comes, you know, Monday morning. Their next three games after that are Steelers, Bengals, Patriots. Yeah. Then they have the Lions, which is kind of a buy. Uh, we'll get into that. <sighs> yeah. <know>. Yeah. <clears throat> and then they have the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah. The Raiders. The pa- I mean, this is they're, – they're looking at below 500 for the season right now. Yep. As a possibility, which nobody really expected. I think I think right now Cleveland and Miami are the two most disappointing teams in the NFL. Yeah. I think that's fair. Washington and Green Bay. So I'm looking at a quarterback quarterback stats and prep for this very podcast. And I it's one of those things where you look at a thing that can't be right. That can't no 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 no. Am I on the wrong season? Like right. hurt? Am I in you know 2016? Aaron Rodgers on passes of 20 or more air yards in 2020, including the playoffs per PFF. Rodgers attempted 89 passes of 20 or more air yards, completing 37 for 1,435 yards, 16.1 yards per attempt, 14 touchdowns, one interception, and a pass rating of 123.7. That's halfway decent. They're pretty good. Only Daniel Jones, no really, Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford had a higher deep ball passer rating. Only Tom Brady had more deep attempts. Only Brady and Josh Allen had more deep completions. Only Brady had more deep yards and only Brady had more deep touchdowns. Well, Brady had more games too. Uh, one more game. Through the first six games of the 2021 season, Mark, the picture is very different. Rodgers has attempted 30 deep passes, completing nine for 354 yards, 11.8 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and a passer rating of 48.5. Only Tua and Ryan Tannehill have lower passer ratings and deep passes. Only Murray, Trevor Lawrence, and uh, Tua have more deep interceptions. Uh, and only Tannehill, Jacoby Brissett, Tua, and Justin Fields have matched Rodgers' goose egg when it comes to touchdowns on deep passes. Sidebar, Miami's passing game is horrible no matter who's playing quarterback. So I did a deep dive on it yesterday. So I'm like, I'm, I have to stop my podcast prep and watch the tape to see why. Like Aaron Rodgers is one of the five worst quarterbacks throwing the ball deep. <clears throat> the offensive line is seriously banged up. The receivers have been injured in and out. Um, Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb have been the only consistent deep threats, and Randall Cobb has caught two deep passes on this, you know, two targets. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling has been hurt. Robert Tanyan, uh, no catches on four deep attempts. There was a pass interference that he got for 25 yards. But they were his deep targets in 2020 when teams worked to double Adams out of too high. Neither one of them have done much of anything. In MVS's case, he's been hurt. Um, and they're also playing more empty, which leads to fewer route concepts that lead to easily defined openings. And even Aaron Rodgers needs that once in a while. I think the empty thing might be starting to be a thing that's biting them in the butt because it, it, it creates a more static <coughs> series of route concepts. It makes the protections more flawed unless you you know out of empty you can still have guys you know coming into block but they're not really doing that and this starts to look like the cincinnati offense last year where it was empty 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 three step and throw right it's it and you know rogers is going to be 38 in a couple months this is not an arm thing this isn't big ben now or breeze last year um He's got the arm, <laughs> but this passing game right now is fundamentally flawed. Now, Washington, you know, is that a get well thing? I don't know, but for Green Bay's, you know, uh, for their sake, and they're five and one that they, you know, Packers fans can look at me and say, you're an idiot. They're five and one and they have Aaron Rodgers and their defense is improving. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, but how many more NFC championships do you want to lose? You got to fix this. Yeah, it's you know their their offense is kind of 
a, a strange watch right now. I mean, there are some protection issues. I mean, I'm trying to pull up all of these throws here and I'm looking at some of them as we're talking here. And there are moments where he's getting pressured. He has to sort of move off the spot. And if you're shuffling backwards while trying to throw a fade route, you know, 40 yards downfield, like sometimes you're not going to put it where it needs to be. He had one to Lazard in that game against the Bengals in the third quarter. I think that should have been caught would have been a big gain. So, you know, there's some problems on the other end of things too, but I don't think it's a, a Rogers problem at all. I think you're exactly right. Like he's still making ridiculous throws all the time. I, I think part of it is they're they're worried about protection issues up front so they're going empty to try to minimize what those guys have to do it's three steps stuff which is leading you to run more quick game concepts than the stuff downfield so they've you know not put themselves in the situation to hit on the vertical stuff as much um so i think it's a combination of things but yeah will it get them through this week yeah probably will it get them back to the playoffs yeah i think so I don't, i'm not worried about that but like you said how many more nfc championship games do you want to lose I'm uh, looking at the yeah the Bengals game. He had the interception to uh, Chidobi Awuzier, who, to be fair, is playing absolutely out of his flipping mind right now. Yeah. That was pressure. Yeah. Uh, he had pressure uh, up right up the uh, right in his face from DJ Reader, their defensive tackle, former Texan. I, he's always been a good player. Uh, doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, beat right guard Royce Newman, who I wasn't whose existence I wasn't aware of before I watched this play, uh, forced and uh, hurried and errant attempt to Devontae Adams in the end zone, who had beaten he, Adams had beaten Mike Hilton. That thing was wide ass open and he yeah. missed it because of the pressure. <coughs> um, yeah, the end of interception week one, um, you know, another vertical shot play when they lost to the, the Saints. Uh, Mike Williams, and he just missed that throw. He overthrew it by like 10 yards. Yeah. Um, but at that point, you're down 17-3, and, you know, it's late third quarter anyway. You're just trying to make something happen. He talked about his connection with Cobb after the Steelers game, where Cobb caught two touchdowns. Um, and the, the, the touchdowns were short passes, and then he had a 25-yard deep shot. Um, and he talked about his connection with Cobb. Obviously, his connection with Adams is great. I, just, I think that passing game is in <coughs> – some kind of transition. And I wonder with all the empty looks, if Matt LaFleur and his staff were kind of outsmarting themselves. Yeah. Because this isn't, this isn't Joe Burrow in his rookie year. This isn't like Zach Wilson. This is Aaron Rodgers. I mean, yeah, come on. Yep. Chiefs of Titans. Uh, So there's a trend with Patrick Mahomes and I, and you want, you had some interesting numbers. I'm not talking about Mahomes' interceptions because most of them are not his fault. Two or Tyreek Hill just going bonk and, you know, other stuff. But in weeks one through five, the Washington football team had 54 snaps in defined two deep coverages and 106 snaps in defined single high coverages. In week six against the Chiefs, Washington led the NFL in two deep coverage snaps at 27. Patrick Mahomes completed 16 of 27 passes for 187 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. I believe the interception against two deep was one where he just kind of barfed it up and it, you know, that's you move on that was just a yeah i mean uh, the, <laughs> he had one interception against the red zone cover two in that game that's the one that went through hill's hands and the interception at the end of the first half that was a zero blitz look um you know probably got graded out as too high or whatever uh but he drops the snap and like throws it up like that's just you know don't yeah. do that that's like, a that's fluke. that's not a cover two thing that's a don't do that thing but they had 13 snaps and defined single high coverage. They allowed 11 completions and 13 attempts for 189 yards, one touchdown, the other interception. Uh, the Chiefs have faced the most two deep coverage in the league per SIS. And we're going to, you know, again, discuss why these numbers aren't always. But 
when you watch the tape, this does bear out whether the numbers are exactly correct or not. <clears throat> per SIS, Mahomes has faced 149, his 149 dropbacks this season against too high. Ben Roethlisberger is second with 96. Wow. So they're, they're, they're saying to Andy Reid now, you can't run the ball. Um, you know, your defense stinks. So we're just going to wait you out. Yeah. So if you're Andy Reid and talk all you want about what you've seen specifically tape versus numbers, because that's, that's, that context is always important. But if you're Andy Reid and you're like, okay, this is what I've got. What are my two beaters based on my personnel? I got Tyree Killer. I got Travis, you know, I got all these guys. Um, what are my two beaters? How do I get past this admitting that I really don't have a run game? Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I think the numbers need a little bit of context here. Like you mentioned, it, it might just be because of the sample size, but I looked at before this show the plays that gained 15 yards or more in the passing game for the Chiefs this year that had a intended air yards of 10 plus. I, I think that's a good filter to filter out like screens, catches and runs, things like that. The Chiefs have had six of those plays this year. Four of them came against Washington this week. I mean, so either it's a combination of seeing 27 snaps against too high or they're starting to piece together what they need to do. And also like, Washington's defense being really, really And Washington's good. defense being Washington's defense. I, you know, one of them came sort of a mirrored smash. And, you know, you've got the deep corner out. You've got the routes to the flat, mirrored sat, flat seven smash. You, you attack the soft spot and cover two, fine. Then you... One of the Bibles attacking coverages of the past game, Steve Axman, got a whole fit on cover two. I think you're going to see a lot of clear dig, and that's what Steve Axman calls it. Well, you've got that safety splitter from the slot. You can run it out of three by one. You can run it out of two by two, but it's safety splitter from the spot, from the slot, the inside guy. Then that dig route that comes in front of him. You send Tyreek Hill off the seam. Maybe it's Robinson. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's Kelsey. You put those guys to the same side of the formation. Either you hit that safety splitter between them or you run the dig in front of them. You know, there's other stuff you can do. NCA mills, post dig shallow, like it really stretches the middle of the field. But I think they've got the talent. Obviously, they have the talent to sort of attack these, to throw teams out of cover one, right? The three areas you really just want to attack between the safeties, outside the safeties. Well, you need guys that can split those safeties quickly. Tyreek Hill. They have that. You know, a, a, a guy, an alien that can throw to all those levels of the field with accuracy and velocity, they've got that. So, I mean, they, they should be able to throw themselves out of this situation. So, I, and I think we're already seeing instances of them doing that, given what they did against Washington last week. So, no, long story short, I'm not too worried about them from a, I don't think they have like a cover two problem per se. It's just that they're going to have to throw themselves out of it, not run themselves out of it. Because, again, Dating back to high school and Coach Vass, and Kyle Kogan and Cody Alexander and their huddle blitz clinic, they've been doing this in high school for years. You're worried about teams throwing the ball because it's more efficient. Show too high and dare them to run against you. Know, dare them to take their quarterback out of the games for you, and that's why teams are doing it. So right, and the next level the is what if you don't have what if, what if your run game is crap? And well, then you rely on the fact that you have a football throwing alien in Patrick Mahomes. Now Mahomes has to stop doing some dumb things. Some of the interceptions yes. he's thrown against middle of the field open, it's late in the play, late in the down, and he's just trying something that he thinks he can get away with. Strip that stuff out, they're going to be fine. I go back to the story where I watched tape with him before, like a month before he was drafted, and there was that Texas game where he threw – it could have thrown eight interceptions. I mean, he was just – 
hurling the ball downfield with no sort of rhyme or reason. I said, you realize that this NFL isn't the big 12. You can't get away with this stuff. And he laughed and he said, yeah, <clears throat> but he's called himself a gunslinger. He does have those yep. tendencies. And once in a while that, that is the, not the downside because he'll also make throws. You're like, Oh my God, he shouldn't be able to do that. And he did it. And it's I mean, not, the- it's not rent. Like that's part of his game. That's there's like a, a chapter in the chiefs playbook. That's just, you know, Jackson Pollock Cran, and you're like, okay, here we go. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, and it works for us because of him. Bar none, the best throw from any quarterback last week didn't count, and it was Mahomes yes. when he like spins around three times, races to his right, and then throws across his body back to the left on a crosser, work it away from him, and puts it on the money. It's like, Unfair. when you can do that, I'm not too worried about you hitting a whole shot against cover two or splitting the safeties against too high. Like, I'm not worried about. It. Yeah, I'm not worried about that either. I'm just I'm I become more interested in that's why I asked you and I yeah. gotta read my Steve Axman because I have that book, of course. I think I have two copies, it's so good. Yeah. Um, buy all of Steve Axman's books. Yeah. I mean, I've got three of his, so yeah. Um, that's sort of next level thing where okay, they go too high and well, they're daring you to run, you can't. Well, now what do you do? You don't forfeit, you got to figure something out. That's why yeah. your coaches are paid five million dollars a year. So, yeah. you know, and Andy Reid certainly knows a thing or two about offense. I'm sure he's yeah. got this unlock. The Titans are for the most part a get well defense. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I expected, you know, after the previous game, I you know, we were like pissed off Patrick Mahomes against Washington's defense. Well, mm, yes and no. We shall see. Uh, Falcons at Dolphins. Falcons come back from their bye and Matt Ryan's connection with Kyle Pitts against the Jets in week five, which finally happened. Uh, the Dolphins defense has really fallen apart this season. They rank 27th overall in defensive DVOA. They're 20th against tight ends. Xavier Howard has allowed five touchdown passes this season with one interception. Last season, he allowed four touchdowns. All season, he had 10 interceptions. Now, if you want to talk about a boomer bust guy in the Marcus Peters mold, Xavier's yeah. a really good player. But stuff will happen. And when the Dolphins played the Bucks, I know you remember this. Antonio Brown made Howard his personal punching bag. And I'm like, that was the first sort of moment where I went, this defense is in trouble. And yeah. it's not just the Buccaneers, it's sort of everyone. Um, Tua was supposed to take a step forward, really hasn't. The, the injury didn't help. Um, he has not had favorable. I was talking to Lori Fitzpatrick, who also does X's and O's for us about this. And she's working on a piece on Tua as I know you have like I, and she said, I don't really see any concepts that help a quarterback here. Like, yeah. Um, we were all saying before the season, Miami was going to be a playoff contender. Maybe they don't win the AFC East because the bills are awesome. Patriots are in transition, but they hit a wild card. They're one in five. Yeah. And now there's all this talk about, Oh, Deshaun Watson. And I, whatever, Uh, I'll buy into that when it happens if it happens um, and then we can see what the NFL does with that whole deal. But in a general, I mean, this is not something that a Deshaun Watson trade and Deshaun Watson playing like a top five quarterback and a Deshaun Watson who wouldn't get suspended. Um, he's not going to fix this. No, no. And it, it reeks of desperation. Now, again, you, t- you take, you always take this, this stuff with a grain of salt, right? Because it's, there's a reason why this is suddenly spinning up yet again. And it might be 99% from Houston's, end of things and everybody coming out of Miami has kind of denied it, even though it's been rumored for a while, but it does sort of reek of desperation. It's we're one in five. What can fix it? Well, given up on the quarterback we drafted and has started less than a dozen games, the guy that we picked like, yeah, that will fix it. 
Probably not. Like there are deeper issues than quarterback play. And has Tua taken the step that we wanted to see from him? No. Is he playing great football right now? Well, he's only played two games and four throws. I mean, but even in those moments, he had two touchdown passes and he had a nice throw to Mike Jusecki and he had a boneheaded interception in the third quarter of that game where I don't know if he and Waddle were not on the same page or what, but he threw it right to the defender. There was nobody, there was not a receiver within 10 yards of that throw. And so, yeah, maybe the Dolphins have seen enough to think that Tua isn't the answer, but he's not the only problem that they have right now. And he's the kind of guy who could make them regret that if he goes to a team where the offense is, you know, yeah. integrated to his strengths. We'll see. Uh, by the way, the odor of desperation is not the sequel to my first book. Yeah. Uh, Falcons, whose efficiency metrics have, were far better than their record last season, which is why I picked them as kind of a sneaky, not playoff team, but, you know, improving. Uh, they come off their buy at two and three. Uh, Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith are kind of on the same page. Now, Atlanta's defense has been terrible this year, which is a surprise since Dean Pease usually elevates his talent. Um, but the narrative surrounding both of these teams is very different than we may have expected. And if the Falcons beat the Dolphins, trade deadline coming up, I don't know about fire sale, but everyone's got to start looking at themselves going, wait a minute, this was not supposed to be, this is not, this was not the plan. Right. At yeah. all. Yeah. Um, maybe, but like, like, well, who do you move? Yeah. Well, I mean, and we would have been, you know, laughing ourselves into you know, fits saying Brian Flores is in trouble. Chris Greer is in trouble, but they might be. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Jets at Patriots. Uh, Bill Belichick gets an easier out offensively when the Jets than he, <laughs> the Jets than he have with the Cowboys, obviously. Um, I like what Belichick said about the Cowboys. Like, well, I like to take away the one thing they do well. I couldn't really do that because they do everything well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so New England's defense, I wanted to mention your guy, Jawan Bentley, continues to ball out. Matthew Judon continues to submit his status as one of Belichick's most astute defensive free signings, and that's a pretty decent list. Um, yeah. The Patriots overall, kind of where are you with them? I mean – they're not where we hoped they would be, but they're not far away from getting there. I think, Uh, I think, look, defensively, it hasn't been perfect. You know, a lot of people point to that third and 25 play that they gave up. Look, they ran one cross. It's it's one of Belichick's favorite coverages. You wanted to take away crossing routes and easy throws and force them into something deeper downfield. Kellen Moore called the, like, like an ideal play for it. Like they went four by one, like, one of the biggest elements of that play, they go four by one. They release Elliott. He's the win guy in the four receiver side of the field. They release him on a vertical out. No, you don't want to give them a quick throw to him. So you walk the linebacker Hightower out over to chip him. And because of that, Hightower is so late to get into it that he basically takes him out. It takes him out of the play. So you're rushing three, but you're not really dropping eight because Hightower is trying to get there. So that's one thing that happens. The other thing is whether Moore was expecting it or not, would you go that one cross look? So Cooper goes, he's, you know, he's in the down early, right? He goes shallow early. JC Jackson's over him. He's sort of zones off. And then he's looking to replace Adrian Phillips, who drives down on it. He's going to take away crossers. Well, the first crosser is Blake Jarwin, the tight end. And so maybe he takes that away. The second one is CD Lamb. And that's the guy that Prescott ends up hitting. And so, and by the way, the Cowboys have been really good in 12 this year. Who expected yeah. that? No, nobody expected that. And so, look, 
like the defense in New England, it hasn't been perfect, but I think, you know, Belichick and they're going to figure it out. The offense, they, they need to trust Mac Jones a bit more. The, the big thing in my mind is they've been super conservative. Yep. I mean, and, and Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders made the case this week that for all of you who are saying this is a Mac Jones thing, it's a Bill Belichick dated back to 2012 then, because since then he's been much more conservative and, a lot of people thought it was Belichick that changed the mold, right? That Sunday night game against Peyton Manning where he went for it on fourth and two and they got stopped and suddenly it's like everybody's got to go for it on fourth down. Well, everybody has. And in, you know, Belichick zigs when everybody zags, he's now much more conservative since like 2012. And then I saw this week where they had like 44 fourth down situations this year and they've gone for it three times. Like, wow. Yeah. And, and I can get some of them. And the other thing is this, Belichick, the double dip, we defer, maybe we could steal an extra possession. You get the ball back with 130 left in the first half and you decide to run a draw and kneel on it. The thing you set up to do, and the reason why he said he did that was because we were getting the ball to start the second half. Well, if you defer to try to steal an extra possession and then just sit on it, you've basically negated your decision. Kevin Cole from PFF made that point. So he's been super conservative, and, and that's the frustrating thing right now for Patriots fans. The Browns have attempted the most fourth down conversions in the league this year with 15. The Patriots are tied with the Chiefs for second fewest at three. The Seahawks have attempted two and have not converted any. The Patriots have attempted three and converted two. And there's a graphic out there that has it measured by like when you should go for it. And, you know, I I think it is the Browns again who go for it the most when they should. Yeah. Patriots are the least. Like in those sort of you should go for it moments, they go for it the fewest. Well, I remember when we thought that we thought that Brady's deep arm was dead in 2019. Yeah, how'd that, how'd that go? Yeah. Um, do you think the two deep touchdowns? Because obviously Mac Jones on deep stuff has been had been a, a abject one for 11 against the Saints, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, five of those were late when they were just trying to do yeah. anything. Um, and in the, I think it was two games since then before the Cowboys game, he had attempted three deep passes in total, and one of them was intercepted. Did you see something against a, a pretty game Dallas defense? Did you see something in offense with Mac Jones and the receivers where you're like, okay, is this a one-off? Was it just two plays where they beat the Cowboys? Or do we have something to build on here? I think it was kind of just the two plays. I mean, one was Verts down in the red zone where you get the single high look. Hunter Henry did a really good job with the off arm to sort of extend the separation. Jones did a really good job freezing the post safety in the middle of the field. You know, looked right, looked middle, then threw late. And then, look, the long touchdown to Bourne, which we talked about earlier, where you had two guys that kind of got caught in between the throws sort of the inside. Bourne makes a great adjustment. You know, the, the biggest non-play in that game was probably a short throw to Aguilar that could draw to where if you watch that one, it's a 75-yard touchdown yeah. if he catches it, but it's a six-yard throw. I mean, I think that they're trusting Jones to go deep a little bit more, and perhaps more importantly, he's trusting himself to throw deep a little bit more, so maybe there's something to build on from, say, a mental side of things. Because you can't force-feed him. Like we, we, they found that out in the Saints game. Yeah. We're like, yeah we, no. Okay. We can't put all of it on the kid's shoulders right now. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not right. that guy. Right. So let's. Yeah. And I, I think they're sort of figuring some things out with it. And he's sort of figuring some things out with it. But I mean, I think it's more on the mental side than anything else. 
So they're two and four. They have the Jets. They have the Chargers. They have the Panthers. Uh, that's a weird defense. The yeah. Browns, the Falcons. They've got some, they got a lot of get well defenses here. Titans. Then they have the Bills. Ouch. Um, yeah. We'll see how that yeah. goes. Uh, so in this game, so these teams are Jets and Patriots faced off in week two, I guess if you can call it face off, Zach Wilson had the worst game any rookie quarterback has had against a Belichick coach Patriots defense, which is saying a lot. Uh, Bill is what 21 and six against rookie quarterbacks, something like that. Something like that. Wilson completed 19 or 33 passes for 210 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions and a quarterback rating of 37. I don't know how you get 37 with four interceptions. I don't care what else you do. Uh, how bad was it? At various points in the game, Wilson had three completions to three interceptions and four completions to four interceptions. Uh, not an optimal trend. Wilson spread it around to JC Jackson had two. Adrian Phillips had one. McCordy had one. They feasted on him. Uh, they had a bye last week, so you didn't see the Jets. But, I mean, Zach's making some – I think he is what we thought he would be in his rookie year. Yep. Like some spectacular plays and some sort of like – get him out of there. Yeah, there's kind of that variance. Yeah, I mean, it's very high variance right now. And I think the Jets are kind of going to have to live with that. I mean, they did things right around him. It just guys got hurt. And we've talked about it a lot. Like they, they tried to build the offensive line in front of him. They tried to put the scheme in place. Guys got hurt. So it hasn't quite come together the way they'd hoped. It's going to be a situation where, like, say, in this game, if we're in the third quarter, he's got three picks and it's 35 nothing. like sit him down. Like, 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 sit him down. Don't put him in situations. Don't keep running him out there. Bad habits are developing. And we've talked about, I've written about some of those bad habits, speeding things up and things like that. One score game and all that, you keep him in there. You, you keep him in there and you let him try to fight through it. If he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. Like, fine, you live with it. But you don't want to see bad habits developing with him. You don't want to, you know, ruin him before he gets going and things like that. Because he will... You know, he'll he'll throw some, but he may also make three explosive plays for touchdowns. You just yeah, know. and it, he's made some really good throws. His game against the Titans, particularly the second half and overtime, best I've seen him play this year. Yep. Um, so, look, he's certainly talented. And, uh, and it's not a situation where, you know, Jets fans, I'm not, like, bailing on this kid. I'm not giving up on this kid. Uh, I, I, I'm certainly one to preach and practice patience when it comes to young quarterbacks. I think he could get there. It didn't come together the way they hoped because of injuries, but – you know, he's going through some struggles and you have to do what makes sense for Zach Wilson because you're not making a playoff run. You drafted him to be the guy for the next 10, 15 years. Do the things that help him be that guy for the next 10 or 15 years. If it means sitting him down for the end of a game because he's been hurting himself, then you sit him down. Well, it's like they want him to be more boring and they keep saying that. And then the game script decided really. Yeah, you're down 17, nothing. And he has to be excited. Like, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of bad teams with potentially good quarterbacks fall into that uh, category. Yeah. Uh, Panthers at Giants. Rams safety Taylor Rapp won NFC Defensive Player of the Week for his two picks of Daniel Jones. Uh, but I think I think Daniel Jones got robbed. I think Daniel Jones should have been NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Both <laughs> picks, he telegraphed his intentions. Rapp yeah. was smart enough to read it. The Rams put a ton of two deep with a hanging nickel defender. I mean, it was just like the Tom Landry umbrella coverage. And yeah. Jones couldn't seem to navigate it. Yeah. I it mean, the, really, I, I there was know. the one on the well, levels. You you, so you, you, you saw this. Yeah. I mean, there was the one on the levels where Rap did a really good job of sort of colliding with three, reading Jones's eyes, because Jones probably expected him to go outside more. It's a too deep look. But, in, he but it was like, the inside this is guy. my receiver, did, and I'm, I have a big sign over my head. I'm throwing to this guy. Yeah. And, and Rap did a really good job of reading his eyes. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as far as the Giants right now, I mean, it's 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 a rough situation, and I'm not sure Dave Gettleman lasts much longer. Well, if you're Joe Judge and you're saying some of our player the effort, I mean, even if it was, even if it's true, you don't say that. Or I mean, that publicly. The, the way I sort of look at that is, you don't do that. If he's at this point where he's saying it publicly, like what's been happening in the weeks leading up to this, right? Because if you've been saying it behind the scenes, like in the locker room, like, look, we need more effort. Like you guys got to give me more. You got to give me something here. And it's still at this point, then maybe you feel like, look, I got to put guys on blast. But either way, it's not a good situation. I would say that if you're the head coach and there is an effort problem, it's a you problem, Slappy. I mean, that could be it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on to better things. Bengals at Ravens. This is unquestionably the game of the weekend for a whole bunch of reasons you might not expect. You have the Bengals static. You told me last week, watch the Bengals offense and prepare to get pissed off. Um, yep. Yes. A lot of long developing routes with iffy protection, which is never a good thing. And somehow Joe Burrow is still, you know, he, Dak Prescott, and Kyler Murray have the uh, tied for the most deep touchdowns with five. Jamar Chase, obviously. Yeah. Um. So that's a problem. Big problem against, Beng- or the, against the Ravens defense. Lamar Jackson throwing the ball as well as anyone in the NFL. That has a lot of people pissed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Last season, Burrow had one deep touchdown pass. So the offensive line is a little better. I think the concepts can be, but this, they're really asking Joe Burrow to do a lot. Yep. And he's doing it to his credit. Um, now going to the Ravens defense, and as I said, this is, and we've said this multiple times in the last year on the podcast about Wink Martindale's defense, there's a different look on every play. They don't have a style. It's not, This is a cover one team. This is a cover four. We, we play quarters. We do quarters lock. We, they don't have that. Um, and they're in a situation where their safeties are playing really. Deshaun Elliott, um, the kid Abra at the corner, Marlon Humphrey, I was listening to Chris Sims podcast yesterday, and he said that Marlon Humphrey is asked to do more than any defensive back in the NFL. And I think this year that's probably true. And he's doing it all really, really well. Yeah. Um, so they, it's not a thing where you can get a beat on them. Oh, they do this in this situation. So we'll respond thusly. They might have a look that says that and you go, oh, it's, you know, <clears throat> it's cover two or it's spun to cover three. And then it's something else. And it's like every single there isn't a there isn't a tell as far as I can see with the Ravens defense. It's just everything all over the place. Yeah, I'm really excited to see the sort of matchup, the chess game between Burrow and Wank. I mean, you, you go back to the Bengals Jags game, right, where Burrow had the check to a jailbreak screen against zero blitz. Look, and he was like, well, the, the defensive coordinator. He spent some time in Baltimore. They go zero blitz. Like clearly Burrow is going to be ready for whatever he thinks Wink's going to throw at him. Wink's going to dial up some interesting stuff. How does Burrow respond? You know, I'm very curious to see Burrow's being given a lot of freedom at the line of scrimmage, a lot of freedom and protection at the line of scrimmage, setting stuff, bringing backs up. You know, when teams show that mug look, I'm seeing a lot of it this year. And again, has its roots on Fridays and Saturdays, but bringing the back into the sniffer alignment or a tight end into the sniffer alignment. If you've got that double up mugged a gap, look, have somebody right there. So even if they break both and the center turns one way, or it's that rain blitz where the center turns one way, if he turns towards you, you drop that you try to get that free rusher. Now you've got the back right there to, to pick that up. And so, you know, if you do that stuff and everybody drops, 
Do they have the ability to get the ball out? Does Burrow have the ability to make some reads? He had one against Jacksonville where they showed that. They showed that double mugged up look. He brought the back up into that sniffer alignment. They all dropped. He's like, okay, well, you're dropping into the zone. I'll just throw the backside out route on time and rhythm to Jamar Chase. And so that chess game between Wink and Burrow is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. And Marlon Humphrey against Jamar Chase. The Ravens rank fourth in DVOA, uh, defensive DVOA against number one receivers. That's mostly Humphrey. Um, they rank 15th against tight ends. So maybe uh, I'm, I'm going to call him CJ Haushamazood. Yeah. CJ Haushamazood. CJ U. Uh, so fascinating game there for all kinds of reasons. Eagles at Raiders. Um, Raiders won their first game after the John Gruden embarrassment. And Josh Jacobs, a running back, <laughs> said that it was a relief to not have a guy yelling at everyone who was making mistakes, yelling at the referees, pissed off about everything. Under Rich Bisaccia, you have a bad play, you move on to the next one. And everything was just easier. And I think whenever Joe Judge gets fired and they bring in, well, the Giants love autocrats, so maybe they just bring in another jackass. Um, but you could tell. The, the vertical concepts were a little different, but uh, the Raiders aren't having a lot of bad plays right now. Derek Carr has attempted 41 passes of 20 more errors this season. Tom Brady ranks second with 34. So this is like the, the Raiders of, you know, Cliff Branch and or Warren Wells and Fred, Fred Bolitnikoff going 45 yards downfield. That's kind of who they are, and they're doing pretty well with it. Yeah, Derek Carr had perhaps one of my favorite touchdowns of the week, the wheel route to, to Kenya Drake out of the backfield. It's, it's a cover four look. It's post wheel. You know, you, you get them on a linebacker. We talk about a lot. Four turns into man pretty quickly. Yep. in the down and here you've got the post route corner has to buy it. And then you've got the running back matched up on a, a linebacker and he has to buy that Carl Scott, you are a car flat defender, but car looked so comfortable in the pocket, simple touch throw, read it perfectly. He's trusted rugs to it's approaching the sort of all oh, rugs. He's down there. He'll catch it. Cause one of the deep shots to rugs, I was going to feature it in a three throws thing, but I'm like, he just kind of threw this up. It was kind of like YOLO throw and rugs bailed him out. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to really highlight that as an effort example of what to do as a quarterback, but it shows the trust that he has in rugs right now. And so that team looked much more comfortable and confident. Maybe the Josh Jacobs quotes there sort of speak to why, but yeah, this is a fun team to watch. And Derek Carr is playing very well. And like you said, they're more aggressive downfield than it's paying off. Well, and this is, it reminds me a little bit of the Buccaneers offense, um, both last year and this year where explosive plays start to generate explosive plays. It becomes this, and it, what I mean by that is, okay, we're preparing for the 24 yard, the 20 plus yard shot. And then, like you said, it's a six yard wheel route and it goes because everyone's going, right. ah, and then all the short and intermediate stuff opens up. And about halfway through the season, you started to see that with the Bucs last year. And it's been that way ever since. And it's, it's why, Antonio Brown can just demolish everyone over the middle because you got this guy and everyone's going yeah. deep. So um, now the Eagles have faced just 16 passes of 20 more areas this season, second fewest in the league, tied with the Texans, and only the Bills eight have fewer. I think with the Eagles and Texans, it's more situation specific. You're not going to have to overcome a bunch of huge leads, yeah. uh, and you just don't want to throw deep against the Bills. But Philadelphia has been reasonably effective against deep throws. Uh, five deep completions allowed on 16 attempts for 169 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Opponent QBR 66.9. As long as they stay away from that stupid inverted cover two, which should be banned from the league, and anyone running it should be suspended for five games, they might be okay. Yeah. Um, 
And then I wanted to talk a little myth busting because, uh, well, I'll save that for Buccaneers because I want to talk about that. But Philadelphia's ineffective run game, and certainly, oh my God, they're not going to run it all against the Bucs. Not really true. Uh, but before we get into that, I have to, I hadn't really watched Jared Goff since week one. And this, you know, this week was the alleged revenge game um, where he returns to Los Angeles. <coughs> So I watched Jared Goff, and I really wish I had. Yep. Um, there were problems in L.A. where, you know, as, as we've said before, it's like Goff and Garoppolo, maybe still Wentz. I don't know. There are these guys who were just the ceilings right here. You keep bumping your head up against it. I don't think Jared Goff has the confidence in his ability to throw the ball at a level that makes him a functional NFL quarterback anymore. Yeah. I think it's that bad where he's got open. If you want to bag on Anthony Lynn, you go right ahead. You tell me what more Anthony Lynn can do. He's got, I'm looking at the, the Bengals game where there was the sack where he had, uh, it was a Monroe St. Brown and the Bengals are like, uh, we didn't get it. You know, they had three deep. They went really deep. A Monroe St. Brown. And I've got this picture in the article. He doesn't have a defender five yards near him and Goff has a clean pocket. He's looking right at it and he doesn't make the throw. He takes a sack. Um, he's got a post over combo that turns into a, I don't know what throw to, uh, to Swift, the running back. I mean, I, you tell me in your, in your study of quarterbacks, the last time you've seen a guy who just all of a sudden lost the ability to functionally operate in the pocket, in the timing of the play, just an absolute, and I'm not talking about guys who come in and just suck and then they go away. I'm talking about guys who, you know, for all their limitations have been to a Super Bowl, have been in big games, have succeeded in the right schemes. I don't, I don't know what's happened to Goff, but this is not a bridge guy. This is a guy who I, I'm starting to wonder, should they bench him? Once last year. For me, yeah, I mean, it yeah. is a, co- a complete just yeah. collapse. I mean, beyond regression, a collapse. Once wasn't afraid to make throws to his detriment, right? But the thing was with Wentz last year, you saw him misreading simple concepts in the way that he was misreading them when he was in college. Like, like that to me is like uh, just a collapse of quarterback play. Like how it's happening with golf is different. Like it's a collapse in confidence in his own ability, which I, I think. There, there's some similarities there, a collapse in internal confidence and in what you can, can and can't do with once it was more what he thought he was seeing with golf. It's more what he thinks he can throw, but that's it for me. And, you know, th- there's probably no better sign that the Detroit Lions have a quarterback problem than I spent my Wednesday night talking to Jeff Risden and his buddy Chris on a Detroit Lions podcast because they're like, and, and and this is, as I said on that show, I'm like a, you know, a Dr. Death. Because if you're a fan of a team and a podcast cover in that team has me on, it's usually a bad sign because you either want to talk about how bad the quarterback is playing and or you want to talk about draft quarterbacks. Like if your quarterback is playing well, it's an easy show to do. You can just say, hey, our guys play great. Let's all put up our feet and talk about how great he is. But if the quarterback's playing poorly, you have somebody on to say, hey, the quarterback's playing bad. So that I was on a Brown show earlier this week and a Lions show later this week. So. There you go. Um, and then look at the difference in what McVay can do this year. 
Oh. Look at the differences in how those offenses were constructed last year to this year. Last year, it's under and that's center. With Stafford, it's Jet, by the way, not throwing deep well at all the last year. Yeah, time. but you look at the difference in concepts, right? Yes. Last year, under center, jet motion, play action, boot action, three levels. Jerry, just read between the numbers into the outside to one side of the field. This year, under center, no, that's out. Play action, don't need it. We're going gun. We're going four and five wide. We're just letting they're, Yeah, they're running, they're, yeah. they're running a ton more empty, too. They're running a ton more empty. Seth Galita called Sean McVay with Jared Goff, a QB puppeteer. That's what he was. That's what he had to be. He doesn't, need, to be. Yeah. he doesn't need to be that anymore. And right now, do the Detroit Lions have enough around Jared Goff where Anthony Lincoln could be QB puppeteer and set up this stuff? No, they don't. And even when he tries to do it, Goff's now not making those reason throws. So there you go. I just don't want this to turn into a, oh, they're the Lions and everyone sucks and Anthony Lynn's terrible and he's not Sean McVay. So, of course, Jared Goff is miserable. No. Not the problem. And remember, whatever you want to say about Anthony Lynn, Lynn, Shane Steichen, Pep Hamilton. Doug, what were they doing last year? I don't know. What were they doing last year? They were the head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterback coach for the Los Angeles Chargers. Did they have a young quarterback who played pretty well last year? Um, so, I seem to remember yeah. that. Yeah. So Anthony Lynn, however much credit you want to give him, maybe it's 5, 10, 15, 20%, whatever. He was part of a group of coaches that helped Jared Goff take the leap from guy people were worried about coming out of Oregon to offensive rookie of the year. And yeah. so Anthony Lynn, maybe his game manager is brutally awful. Yeah, you've got evidence for that. But he's at least done some stuff in the quarterback development realm where you would think. Well, I'm here if, to tell you, having watched a bunch of Jared Goff this week, ugh, yeah, this is not an Anthony Lynn problem. This is not a receiver problem. It's not even a Penny Sewell problem, although he has not played well. This is – Goff is – He's got wide-ass open guys more than once with clean pockets, the time and the structure, and he's running into sacks. He's yeah. not throwing the ball. He's refusing to take the shots intermediate and deep. He's refusing to just open concept. The fourth and four where he throws it away. Yeah. I mean, at, at, at that point, I, I, w- I probably would have taken him out for his own just sake. It, it, it's like the Zach Wilson thing. Look, you heard it yourself. It's it, you're not a rookie. You're you know a veteran quarterback at this point. You shouldn't be doing that. But yeah. And Dan Campbell saying, well, maybe we have to reduce the playbook. Never a good sign when a coach yeah, says that. Never a good sign when you've been in the NFL for what six years. Yeah. Bad. Not great. Bad. 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 So yeah. Um. And then you know the Rams. <laughs> right. Matthew Stafford against that defense. I, yeah. I don't. I don't even need to go into that. Nope. Uh, Texans at Cardinals. This could be a mercy rule game very early on. We're going to talk about Wentz because you wrote a, a great piece on him this week. The Texans played very passively against the Colts. Uh, oh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of off and bail, handing off to receivers to I don't know who. Not the best strategy with T.Y. Hilton returning to the field. You give it to Kyler Murray in that offense, uh, which just obliterated the Browns without Cliff Kingsbury, and you have a serious problem. If you're Lovey Smith, well, if we know what Lovey's going to do, because it's what Lovey's always done. But if you're Lovey Smith and you can like park your, you know, acumen into Lovey's head and say, okay, we're going to do these things differently. How do you defend that offense with your personnel? Because here's the other thing. It's not just the passing game. The run game is good too. Chase Edmonds has been really good. So it's everything. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more single high stuff. I think it's more one cross stuff. I think you're trying to bring guys down into the box. You're trying to wait, take away stuff in the middle of the field. You're going to force Kyler to go to the outside, to go to the boundaries. You know, the problem is Kyler can certainly do that. You know, it, not much this, you can't do at this point. This Cardinals offense, it's similar to the Belichick quote about the Cowboys offense. Like, you want to take away what they do best. Well, they do a lot of stuff really good right now. Like, maybe you could take away Hopkins. Okay, fine. He's got A.J. Green. He's now going to have Zach Ertz. So, they they had, before Max Williams got hurt, they were involved in the, the tight end a lot in the passing game on, on seam routes, where if you went single high, Murray would make that seam route throw and make it with anticipation. You know, you double Hopkins, maybe you can't load the box. They could run it. Like you said, Doug, their, their run game's been effective. So, it's a pick-your-poison type of situation. The Texans don't have the opportunity. They don't have the horses to – take away what you do best and still cover up the deficiencies in the scheme that results from when you do that elsewhere on the field. And so, yeah, this could be a mercy rule game early. And then look, flip side, that defense against Davis Mills. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me see. Oh, Kyler Murray, one attempt out of 13 personals. <laughs> so let's see if he had any. Um yeah, and as I said about the Ravens, the Cardinals, it's it's very they're doing a great job dialing up simulated pressure, creepers, and all that. And then everyone drops out, or you know, this guy blitzes. Um, and they have the line, you know, they've they've set this up. They got Simmons, they got Zayvon Collins, they got uh, you know, they've got uh if Jordan Hicks, sorry, uh can either rush or drop, and if they drop. Everything like the outlet stuff and the, the short to intermediate passing game, the stuff that Davis Mills will need to sort of get himself in a rhythm. That stuff is always in question. It's always in conflict. Um, so last time the Cardinals went seven and zero was 1974 under Don Coryell. I just wanted to mention Don Coryell, Jim Hart and Terry Metcalf and Mel Gray and all those guys. Fun offense to watch. Go check out YouTube kids. 1974 Cardinals. Pretty cool. Uh, Bears of Buccaneers. This isn't automatic for Tom Brady. Bears are another team doing really good work with their fronts. They're covering decently, although the safety group is an issue because Eddie Jackson is pretty much toast. Brady will get pressure and he'll get pressure up the middle. Now he's playing, a, he's a cyborg at 44. Yeah. But if you haven't watched the Bears defense, there's some stuff there. Angelo Blackson has played very well as a rotational interior guy. Akeem Hicks is still an utter badass when he's healthy. Yeah. Uh, Sean Desai has Khalil Mack playing. I thought Khalil Mack was kind of a disappointment the last couple of years. Not anymore. Quinn, Robert Quinn. Uh, Quinn had a fantastic he's, sack. He's on the COVID list this week, so that's a problem. But, um, you know, not this is not an automatic thing for Brady where he's just going to tear him up. No, no, it's it's not. I mean, they'll get their points. I mean, the question will be, though, they might get 17. Will that be enough, you know, uh, against the Bears in, in this offense? But this Bears defense has been playing really well. Mac had a sack of Rogers. That was partly an effort sack. The Quinn one, like you said, he's, he's on the COVID list right now. That was a fantastic pass rushing rep, like cross chop, bend the arc, run, all that fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they have the ability to limit what Tom Brady's going to want to do. They Look, they, that defense, they beat Tom Brady last year, right? That third yeah. down, that Thursday game where Brady yeah. didn't know what down it was and all that stuff. Now, obviously, that was before the Buccaneers sort of had their bye week and figured things out for their stretch run. But they've been able to slow Tom Brady down in the Tampa Bay uniform once already. So, again, they might be able to hold them to 17 to 20. Will that be enough against this offense? It might be. 
I mean, there are some things I think Chicago can do against them. Maybe some roadmaps that Jalen Hurts offered, but yeah. Thank you, it, Thank you for the yeah. segue, sir. There you go. Um, I'm, I'm just lobbing it up to you. <laughs> Hanging yep. sliders. So the thing is, you never, ever, ever run against Tampa Bay's defense because Vita Vea is a monster, which is true. However, um, the Eagles ran 19 times for 100 yards and two touchdowns against the Buccaneers in a 28 to 22 loss. And I found the <clears throat> the ways in which they did so. To me, were I know you do the the QB reboot, um, QB factory reboot, so you've seen this. Um, some outside stretch, some you know putting defenders in conflict on RPOs where Hertz would run, or you know maybe Miles Sanders would run. Well. You've got Justin Fields and Khalil Herbert, who I liked a lot coming out of college. I mean, it's not like you're going to run for 250 yards and, you know, do that. But I think the Eagles, you know, game plan, blueprint, we always say these things. It's not that. But I think if you're the Bears, A, hopefully Bill Lazor is still calling plays. And B, you can look at that Eagles game and go, well, okay, we can run outside stretch. Herbert is that kind of back. And Justin Herbert or Justin Fields can certainly put a defense in conflict with, is he going to run or is he not? So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. And it it gets to the numbers equation we talked about earlier, right? If you could start involving Justin Fields in the run game, yes, maybe Tampa Bay up front, Vita Vea and company, they can negate some numbers advantages. But now when you bring the quarterback in as a potential run threat, you add that sort of plus one situation to your side of the ledger. And so it certainly helps. It's one more thing the defense has to think about. You start doing that stuff. You sh- you you show those zone read looks. You, you give that backside defender something to worry about. Fields is going to keep it. It starts to slow down pass rush when you go run action, when you go RPO looks and things like that. So like, there's an opportunity here for Chicago to put together a well-crafted, well-thought-out game plan using some of those concepts, getting Justin Fields involved, doing some things that you know maybe he did last year at Ohio State. Now, will Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor do that? Well, yeah, I don't know about that part of it, but there's an opportunity to do that. Uh, so I did running backs for our draft series this year. I compared him to Thomas Jones, Khalil Herbert. Yeah. Um, and he had a lot run outside zone to the right where everything got washed down backside, put that right foot of the turf, made that bendery to get backside, get upfield for like a 25-yard gain or something. Like, you could do some of that zone read stuff with him and you're just giving it to him, that look, and he's going to be able to create, say everybody over-pursues, he has the vision and the change of direction skills to hit that backside read. Like, he can do some things in the run game against this team. Uh, For Virginia Tech last year, Herbert uh, had 19 carries at 15 or more yards for 648 yards. He forced 42 missed tackles on 155 attempts. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. could be. <laughs> so not, you know, I do the Bucks win? Probably. Probably. Um, is there, you know, is there a, a are there indicators, ways to sort of deal with the Bucks run defense that the Eagles showed that I would love the Bears to pick up on? Yes. Yeah. They do that. Who the hell knows? Because, mm-hmm. you know. Because, yeah. Making things better for your quarterback is apparently a selective thing in the Windy City. Yeah. Uh, Colts at 49ers. Jimmy G's back. Whatever. Uh, you on Carson Wentz. Oh, by the way, Julian Blackman's now out for the rest of the yeah. season with torn Achilles, which sucks. I love I loved that kid. He's so good. 
Uh, so you on Wentz, how much of this was Lovey Smith playing everyone in the parking lot and how much of this is Wentz sort of getting it? Like, has he I mean, gotten it? Has the light gone on? Uh, I, I think it was like 70% on, look, they played like country cover too. I mean, it, it wasn't really tough to read that stuff Why? out. Um, Why? Stop it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think what's been interesting about Wentz, because this, this little three game stretch he's had Miami, Baltimore, now Houston. You know, it's dating back to 2017, the best three-game stretch by a number of different indicators, whether it's PFF grade, whether it's QBR. Um, interestingly enough, you know, he's graded out 75-plus in QBR each of these three weeks. He only had one game over 75 last year, I think, or maybe two, but one of them was against San Francisco. So put that in the back of your mind. And this was last year when he collapsed. But what's interesting about this three-game stretch is even some of the mistakes or missed opportunities – the decisions were the right read and he was getting to them quickly. It was just a matter of maybe he underthrew and had some trash at his feet. Maybe he just left his throw too far inside, but could have made a better throw. The decisions were right. Whereas opposed to when it really fit the floor fell out from underneath him last year, from where I was watching, it was a decisional thing. It was like, he wasn't reading stuff. He wasn't trusting stuff. So I think he's fixed that to this point. A lot of the stuff has come and I didn't really dive into this too much. I should have done more of it. Scheme, right? You know, vertical stuff, post over, vertical concepts, variations of post over where instead of the post and the over, it's, you know, an, a, you know, the over in a corner or something like that, where it looks like it's going to be that, but it's something a little bit different, or it's a blaze out and a post over the top of it. So instead of high low in the middle of the field, it's high low to the outside. And he's reading that vertical stuff really well right now. And yes, last week it was a lot of country cover too, but it's been other stuff against the, he threw the for over 400 yards against Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, and, and had some great reads and throws against different coverage schemes in that game. And so I'm not ready to go all in. I've been burned by Carson Wentz before by going all in on. I was trying no. to defend him, you know, early last year before the bottom really fell out. Um, but this is the best three-game stretch we've seen from him in a while. And it came against, you know, a Dolphins team that has talent, a Ravens team, which is 5-1, and one, and yeah, the Texans. But if it continues – we might say that Frank Reich has pulled off the impossible and fixed once. Maybe Frank Reich is just his binky. Maybe. Monday night football. Saints are coming here uh, to Seattle. Uh, was it? F- <coughs> yeah, Seahawks were down, what, 14 to nothing at, in, at the end of the first half against the Steelers. Came back and just ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball. Um, so not Pete Carroll is saying this is what we should have done all along. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Gino ain't cooking. No, we're not going to let him cook. Back. We'll see how much, how long, how that goes. Uh, the saints rank second behind the Colts in run defense DVOS. So wouldn't automatically expect, expect Alex Collins or anyone else to go off. Uh, they will bring different pressures and play a ton of man. DK Metcalf and Tyler Locker can exploit that. Saints have been not, they've have, uh, I think eight solo sacks yet, like 70 total pressures, middle of the pack. I wouldn't say that defense has been a disappointment, but it's not really been what you would have expected. Um, And here on the other side of the ball, some were praising Seattle's defense for limiting the explosive plays against the Steelers, which is hilarious because no one prevents the Steelers explosive plays more than the Steelers do. Uh, The Saints this year, Jameis Winston on throws of 20 or more air yards, five completions in just 16 attempts for 257 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. They are not an explosive play offense this year, run or pass. So if the Seahawks lose, you know, 
24 to 20 and they don't, you know, with that defense, the way it is, they don't create, you know, they don't give up a lot of explosives. It might not be them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that we get to this game as the last game of the week because yeah, it is, it is technically a football game. And I'm pretty sure that Pete Carroll is going to try to run the football 452 times. If it is know. an NFL football product. It is an NFL football product. Um, I mean, look, the, the, the Sage defense, it was really good last year. I mean, I remember we were talking about how good that defense was, the things they were doing, the way they were matching coverages and things like that. It hasn't been that unit this year. And yes, they had a very good game week one. I think week one, though, what do people say about week one? It's the ultimate liar, right? It fooled us on a lot of things. And it might have fooled us on whether it was the Packers defense, the Saints offense, the Saints defense, something. We got fooled on that one. I, I think, you know, that unit has kind of come back to earth a little bit after that first week. So, you know, will they probably have success against Geno Smith in this offense? Yeah, probably. But I, I don't think it's the the group that Saints fans were hoping it was going to be when the season started. The Seahawks really do not need to be two and five. No. Three and four. Our defense is starting to be okay. We got to three and four with Geno Smith. Two and five. Boy. Yeah. Really interesting questions about that franchise right now. Yeah, um, and I'm. Where do you think this goes from here? I mean, well, they don't have a first round pick. Yeah, they gave up two first round picks and I think a third for a you know a for an edge safety. <laughs> what did Ron Rivera say this week about Landon Collins? I see you as a box guy, and yeah. I, my first thought was I think Pete Carroll needs to have that conversation with Jamal Adams. They keep trying yeah. to turn him into Troy Polamalu. Uh, he's not he's not no. like like put nobody is Troy Pop- yeah maybe the most unique player the, the player without precedent or sense like no one else plays like that right the closest like, guy i can think of is bob sanders where it's just kamikaze rip your face off and somehow make all the plays um where does it go from here i don't i don't see people getting fired because pete can sell it as a rebuild and whatever um I, I do think the Shane Waldron thing has been a disappointment to date. And a lot of that's because as we've said, and Seth Galina and other people have said, it's not a, it's, it's a Russell Wilson offense. So you have to yeah. kind of deal with that. Um, I think Pete Carroll may be the best secondary coach of his generation. This has to be just eating his guts out. Oh, I'm sure. It's kind of like made- Mike Zimmer the last two years with his cornerbacks. Like, Jesus Christ, how, how do you yeah. even wake up in the morning? Well, I mean, they, they, they made some decisions that left them so thin. At you, that can't, position you can't, you can't WTF, the second most important position in the NFL, two years in a row and expect anything else but this to happen. Yeah. I mean, they made their bed. Now they're lying in it. Yeah. And you give up that much for – well, they're yeah, – I mean, they've either given up their first round picks or they've made first round picks that are just horrid, absolutely inexcusable. So either way, they've basically whiffed on the first round every year. But the first in 2010, they got Russell Oakland and Earl Thomas. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, outside of that, it's been just, you know, disaster <laughs> after disaster. It's very and, you know, you can like you can say, I know this was the the excuse that was used when the 70 Steelers sort of started to decline. Well, when you're picking that late in the first round all the time, you, you know, I mean, that's true to a point when you are absolutely 
setting your first round picks on fire and throwing them into a dumpster every year for 10 years, that's a larger problem. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like a three year thing. They're not, they're not one player away. They're several players away. Um, You could argue as much as I respect Pete and John Schneider, that when Scott McLuhan left, uh, (laughs) you look at the before and after, um, I don't know. And I don't want to malign Ken Norton. I think there's more than enough of that going on up here, but I will say that based on what I see on the field, uh, it's kind of like with Rivera and Del Rio in Washington. I've made that point before. I, I kind of wonder if Pete's run out of friends that you can hire. Yeah. I don't know. <sighs> well, that, that would be It's a weird watch. time. It's a yeah. weird time. Uh, I mean, I, I started covering this. I, I got my first credentials uh, in 2010. So I covered this. I saw the whole thing get built up. Uh, one of the best five best defenses of all time. We're kind of spoiled by that. Yeah. You know, you start to think that's the way it's going to be. And usually it isn't. So, right. Yeah. We shall see anything else from you. Good, sir. Nothing else from me, my friend. Okay. Well, uh, enjoy the games through the weekend and we'll be talking next week. Sounds good, everybody.